Game one of the Stanley Cup final is here. It is Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Canucks insider Thomas Drance here, uh, who of course also covers the team at the Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Look, we've got uh, a lot of interesting Canucks stuff to get to. Another article by you up at The Athletic to dive into about some UFA targets to answer. But as we did yesterday, as we plan to do throughout the course of the Stanley Cup final, I mean, we've got to give these two teams and this series the respect it deserves. And you always got to give respect to the two teams that are left standing uh, in the final uh, final series of the year in the NHL. But as we've discussed at length, This one is even a cut above your normal Stanley Cup final. There are so many reasons to be excited for Game 1 tonight. So many reasons to be excited for the rest of the series. So we're going to dive into it. We talked about it, you know, got your feedback uh, at length yesterday in a really good discussion. We'll we'll make our official picks today. But, yeah, I just want to... I don't know. I I just want to kind of live in this moment of anticipation for this series. Like, this has the potential to be a really, really special moment for the NHL. It does, which is why the Avalanche not disclosing a starter, getting my <laughs> blood pressure up right before right before we go on air. I'm I'm checking the lineup notes, and the Avs have dis- declined to name their starter, but they're not disclosing that one of the guys is a game time decision. And this is just like, can can the NHL get out of its own way, please, please? How are we going into this? with uncertainty in net for one of the teams in this flagpole moment for the league where you've got, you know, a current dynasty up against uh, an aspirant, right? Like the the heir apparent, uh, shades of the 80s Islanders and Oilers, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's all this romance and then it's like, well, who's starting? Oh, they wouldn't disclose. And it's just like, come on, that would not fly in any other league. In In any other league, you have detailed reporting mechanisms for injuries and that matters because you know there's daily fantasy considerations there's gambling considerations there's ticket buyer considerations not that anyone's attendance at the <laughs> Stanley Cup final is going to be influenced by the, by just, there's, Kemper there's, or Francois I, I love that there's just one really hardcore Pavel Francois fan he's like well <laughs> I guess I won't go then I came here with my Litvinov jersey and I can't even go to the game um, no, but it's the principle of the thing, and and it shouldn't matter. Like it's bad enough that it happens in game one of the Stanley Cup final, but it's it's bad when it happens any game, any game. Yeah. No other league operates like this. No other league. And in a world where you're trying to grow the game through sports wagering, and we know they are because we see it. We've seen it once or twice. Once yep. or twice, we talk about it. Right? Uh, it's literally featured in content on intermission panels on. On the screen during games in lower thirds, like it's become this omnipresent force within broadcasts, and yet there's no league-wide reporting standard that teams are held to. There's no enforcement mechanism for 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 juking with it. And look, you could easily have you could easily have a team not name their starter, but if a team doesn't name their starter, then the goaltender who is a game time decision should be disclosed. Yes. Right? Like, is Kemper not, is, are you not naming a starter because of mind games? Because that shouldn't be acceptable in the year 2022 in a, in a world where so much of what happens on the ice supports fan interest in a variety of ways outside of just the outcome, outside of just Avalanche and, and Lightning fans. 
You know, like that shouldn't, it shouldn't work like this. There should be a disclosure standard above and beyond what the Avalanche have met on this day. I think the other uh, interesting wrinkle there is that this is the first Stanley Cup final as part of the new US TV agreement, which from, you know, my view north of the border, and I'm not watching the broadcast on a regular basis like fans south of the border are, but it seems to have been a pretty major success, uh, again, from my point of view for the NHL. And you want to really make that count, as you say, do as much as you can to make it accessible for the fans in this first opportunity with ESPN uh, showing the games in this series. The other thing about it is, I don't know if this really makes it better or worse, but it makes it sillier, is that all signs are pointing to Darcy Kemper getting the start in net, right? Your your colleague at The Athletic, uh, Peter Baugh, earlier today tweeted out, Darcy Kemper is in the net, usually used by starters. I'd expect him to start game one of the Stanley Cup. So that's certainly where the smart money would be on, is Darcy Kemper getting the start. And if that's the case, if you pretty much know... I don't really understand the logic behind not saying that, behind not just coming out and saying, yeah, Kemper's going. Or as you said, at the very least saying, we think it's going to be Kemper. Game time decision, though, we'll see. Yeah. Right? Like, what, what What disadvantage does that put you at? Really? Realistically? Like, oh, Tampa's going to be, oh, boy, we don't know if we're going to get Pavel Francouz or Darcy Kemper yeah, tonight. It, it changes the scouting report that the goalie coach tapes to the whiteboard. Like, that's that's all it does. Well, he's going to have two slips of paper prepared, and he's going to put one or the other up. And the shooters are going to go quickly read it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Like, oh, wow, you've gained a 10, you know, a two-hour advantage on these guys reading the paper. Because it's not like they're going to read it at morning skate anyway. It goes up before the game, right? And so it's like, okay, well, I'll read it after warm-ups instead of reading it while I'm preparing. It, it, no difference. There's no difference. Uh, this text comes in. And by the way, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. They say, uh, come on, guys, quit the complaining. It's literally called game time decision. Game time isn't for six hours. But the thing is, they're not saying this no. player is a game time decision. That That's kind of our point. That would be acceptable. That's understandable. That happens. Guys, yeah. that's a thing in hockey, right? 100%. And it's completely legitimate. We all understand that. We all appreciate that. If they said Darcy Kemper's a game time decision, that's fine. There's no issue with that. The point is, they're not saying anything. They're just saying, no, we're not going to comment whatsoever. Yeah. Which well, and on lineup decisions, you know, it's, we're not talking about, we're talking about lineups. We're talking about lineups. Like, my goodness. And and look, this is the bigger issue for me, right? It's not, I'm, I don't want to get too worked up about it, but there's just small tweaks that the NHL could make that would dramatically help um, the game appeal to a different audience, right? And And the gambling audience is an increasingly voracious one. It's being marketed too intensely at the moment. The league is benefiting from that, and the league's partners are benefiting from that all over the place. I mean, you can't watch an NHL game without seeing an ad, and, and I don't just mean on your on, on your television or during your intermission broadcast, but also you know Betway on the wall or or, or Play Now on on the on the wall in uh, Rogers Arena. I mean, you see it all over the place, and you know, in terms of being a partner in terms of facilitating that audience, in terms of facilitating that audience growth, it matters to have some basic disclosure protocols that the league has been slow to adopt, been protective of, commentary about, you know, uh, this has always been how it's been. Well, yeah, and hockey's always been fourth place. I mean, if you want to milk this elite, perfect matchup that you've got in the cup final, just just don't get in your own way. Yeah. And, and – the fact that from the outset, like from the very first morning skate, the NHL's doing NHL stuff uh, uh, ahead of this series, just, just it, it boggles my mind. 
Uh, this one comes in unsigned as well. The reason they do this is because it drives the media nuts. Well, mission accomplished. I actually don't think anyone cares except me. <laughs> to be totally well, honest with you. No, I do think sports better scare. Yeah. I, 100% no, I know. they do. Well, but yeah. I mean, but it's it's all it's low hanging fruit. I just want the NHL to pick the low hanging fruit. Get that right. Do the obvious. Do the obvious. Uh, so there you go. We got that out of the way. Sorry. Speaking of uh, game time decisions, lineup decisions, Braden Point will be back in the lineup for the first time since the Toronto series, uh, way back in the first round for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Brandon Hagel is a game time decision. So there you go. Game time decision for Brandon Hagel. But obviously the big news there is Braden Point. Uh, it's Really impressive when you think about it that Tampa, you know what, they went 8-2 and two without him in the lineup, and they barely had him uh, for the latter, ha- latter stages. Against the President's Trophy winners? Yeah, they, not bad. They barely had him in the latter stages of Game 7 uh, against the Leafs as well that they won. So basically 9-2 and two without Braden Point. Braden Point is a phenomenal player. <laughs> He's one of my personal favorite players to watch in the NHL. Just a bona fide playoff performer. Does so many things well for them. If he is anywhere close to 100%, that is a huge, huge boost for the Tampa Bay Lightning ahead of Game 1 tonight against Colorado. And I'll just kind of segue into, you know, we'll walk through our our official Stanley Cup final picks here. And, you know, not just because of Braden Point, but it certainly helps. Just give me that le- it's little a extra swing. bit of confidence. It's a big swing. I- I'm going to go with Tampa. And I, as I said yesterday on the show, I was really debating between Tampa in six and Tampa in seven. I'm going to go with Tampa in six. Just, you know. Yeah, so we've got a show split. We've yeah, got so a we're going to go pick. Tampa in yep. six. Okay. So we can just kind of walk through all the factors that add up. You know, as I said, getting Braden Point back is huge for them. And I'll just kind of check off a bunch here. And it, it is interesting because, you know, we always try to get into the kind of hardcore X's and O's, the numbers, all of that. But a lot of my reasons ultimately for picking Tampa fall into that kind of more intangible uh, type of type of reasons. And one of them, and I think it's going to be especially relevant potentially depending on the result tonight, is just the experience factor. And I, and I say that specifically because there's a chance that Tampa gets steamrolled by Colorado tonight, right? The Colorado comes out, you know, it's the elevation in Denver, all of that. Colorado's been been off, which can be a double-edged sword, but still there's a chance that they absolutely get steamrolled. A lot of other teams, if that happens to them in the Stanley Cup final, the doubt starts to creep in, right? Their knees start to get a little bit wobbly. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is going off the rails. That's not going to happen with Tampa. And that's just one scenario where it's not going to happen. But there is – I cannot think of an adverse situation that Tampa would face in this Stanley Cup final that would really throw them off their game. They have earned the right – to not you, you, the presumption is going to be that that's not going to happen to them, right? Because we we've just seen them go through two and now almost three complete postseasons without that happening to them. And when you have that sort of mental edge, that goes a long way for me. Hundred uh, percent. The yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is though, and is um, I think there's going to be a lot of people who like cast the Avs as like not ready. You know what I mean? Relative to Tampa. And I think we've seen the Avalanche just, you know, they, they've teams have tied it up late against them. They've still won in overtime. They blew game um, five in Colorado, and then they nip, nip that game six late and then win it in overtime. I mean, I, I don't think this Avs team is going to be scared of this moment. And and so while I agree with you that the Lightning need the benefit of the doubt from the business, business-like, um, you know, championship winners who've done it before perspective, 
I, I also think it's important to not oversell the idea that Colorado is going to be or that this moment's going to cause them to shrink. I don't think it will. Well, and to counter. Well, yeah. And first of all, I want to be clear. I'm not saying Colorado is going to shrink from the moment. Just that I think Tampa is the best bet to rise to the moment. Right. They deserve the little edge there. Now, I will say to counter my own point, Tampa, of Nathan course, McKinnon has has apps is like. You know, lots of times you say about a clutch performer, they're cold-blooded. Nathan McKinnon is hot-blooded, but he's going to rise to the moment. I I, I don't think he's going to win, but I think he's going to be phenomenal in this series. Tampa had to earn that reputation, right? Right. This is an opportunity for Colorado to earn that reputation. Like, like you never have that reputation until you do it. So it's totally. always a team that hasn't established themselves that eventually breaking through and getting to that point. Yeah. So I want to be very clear. That's entirely possible. And Tampa Colorado, lost in the cup final themselves. They lost in the cup final. They, of course, got swept yeah. by Columbus, one of the greatest upsets of all but, time. But also, Stamkos misses a sitter to tie game six. Like, an absolute sitter. Um, and now we're watching him just sort of bowl over opponents. Like, he's not at the peak of his powers, but, you know, he's become the definition of, like, the hockey captain leader guy. Um, so, you know, things change. Things change. Even if Colorado doesn't perform up to what we'd expect from them, that doesn't mean that they're losers forever either. No, right? Of and that's an not. important thing to note. Well, and of all... <laughs> you, of you, all can this... tell, you can tell my discomfort with the, like, they, they know how to win narrative. I'm just like, eh, I think the like, Avs know how to win. They win a lot. And it, <laughs> But here's the thing. I, I am normally look askance at that narrative as well, but if you're going to buy into it for any team, it's the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? And 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 to your point about if, if Colorado loses this series, it doesn't mean they're chokers for life. I mean, if there's any series you think you could lose and not have to deal with that label, you think it would be this one. Right? You, you would think. <laughs> one would I certainly think. hope so anyways. Well, although although uh, that the benefit of that doubt wasn't extended to the Maple Leafs or the Panthers, so not That's that, true. Not that I have any skin in the game with those teams, dear listeners. Anyway, Here's the here's the things that I'm interested in seeing tonight. One, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that there's going to be a pretty significant disagreement on matchups in the in this game. I think the Avs are going to want to just play McKinnon straight up, right? They're just going to want to play McKinnon straight up, maximize his minutes, dictate to the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting that means that they're going to have a lot of... We're going to see a lot of, like, McKinnon versus Kucherov minutes. That's what I'm expecting because Avs have last change. And, I, you know, they didn't hide McDavid for, uh, McKinnon from McDavid. Why would they hide McKinnon from anyone on the on the Lightning? I expect them to try and use McKinnon straight up. For the Lightning, though, I expect them to chase a Sorelli-McKinnon head-to-head matchup. And so I think we're going to see some disagreement where the Avs want to sick McKinnon on Kucherov and the Lightning want to want to have uh, their sort of second line be the primary matchup line against McKinnon and that and that's where as the road team you get into some issues you can run into some issues because while you want that you don't want to limit the amount of ice time that Kucherov yep. and and Plot are going to are going to have and so I'm curious to see how John Cooper the best in the business runs that because I do think that's a real challenge. Defensively, I think we're going to see Makar and Taves just hard match Kucherov, and, and I think they'll chase that matchup. And this is where the point factor looms really large, because Tampa Bay, you know, I was skeptical going into this playoffs that they had the speed to hang with some of those teams in the Atlantic. They proved that they did. They proved that they could impose a half-court game on faster teams, and every team they've beat has been faster than them. Mm-hmm. Noticeably, right? My My... my Questions about Tampa's speed have not been answered 
in terms of still thinking they're not very fast. <laughs> it's just been answered and they've found ways to impose a half-court game onto the proceedings successfully against faster teams. So the Avalanche team that they'll face tonight, though, is the fastest one they've faced, right? This is a team that legitimately stayed in front of Connor McDavid, which I didn't think was humanly possible. Braden Point is their only speed attacker. He is their only guy who can really challenge teams vertically. I mean, Sorelli can, but Sorelli doesn't have the finishing game. He's not the offensive threat. He's not the finishing right. threat and, and to do going, damage. And he's going to be tasked primarily with shutting down McKinnon in this totally. series if they can get that matchup. Yeah, and, and, you know, sort of quiet stakes of the game here. If Sorelli goes through this playoffs and has oh my outdueled gosh. Matthews, Barkov, Zabanejad, McKinnon by the end of it, I mean, that that goes into the hall of great defensive playoff performances of all time he, from a forward he i know he's gotten selkie votes in recent years and, and there are a lot of people he should have been him. a nominee this year he was my second on my he ballot. is uh he's in that conversation for underrated guys around the league oh, I think. R- really he's astonishing what he good. does because he's behind the depth chart of, of the stars and and headman and vasilevsky and all that it doesn't get the shine but he really in terms of just that that hidden value in the game he's right oh. up there yeah i mean he I, you know i i think we need to start talking about this defensive run is being, you know, like Sammy Paulson in 06, Bergeron in, in 11, um, you know, Taves and Kopitar pick a run, whatever run you want. I mean, there's a, there's a few guys who have done stuff like this, but this is through-the-roof stuff from Sorelli to this point. He's only been on the ice for six goals against 5-on-5. Five five. Six goals against. In the, in the matchups that you just With listed. head-to-head matchups against Matthews, Barkov, and Zabanejad. Yeah. Wow. Just wow. So anyway, the... Point factor, though, right? He's the he's the he's the best bet that Tampa has to have a counter with speed against a, a team that's the fastest one they've faced yet, right? I mean, as fast as Toronto and uh, Tam- and Florida are, Colorado's even faster, and they have Kale McCarr keying things, and and Kale McCarr's you know a top five skater in this league. Um, the impact of point, the swing on point, if he is at eighty or ninety percent. Massive, yeah, because they really are going to need to be able to punish the Avs, uh, at least the Avs' depth against the grain a little bit. And so, where point plays to me is going to be a big story. Like, I'm going to be very interested to see what these lineups look like in warmups because is there any temptation to play point a little bit down the lineup so that you have that speed running downhill at you know, Johnson, Johnson, and Manson, and Byram, yeah. as opposed to at McCarran. Well, I think a healthy point, right? And then you just go through it. So you have Sorelli being used as your matchup player against the McKinnon line. Then you have Colorado wanting to really match up against Nikita Kucherov's line. Okay, and then that, so let's just say that cancels us out. Well, then all of a sudden you have Brayden Point, an incredibly dynamic, effective offensive player, who, as you said, you can potentially get out there for major minutes against Colorado's depth. And we talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show, and, you know, very similar to the whole experience thing I was listing out where I think it's an advantage for Tampa, but not an overwhelming one, that coaching matchup and specifically the the idea of can Tampa and John Cooper find ways to get their stars out against Colorado's depth, and I think the Braden point is the best ability for them to do that, the best chance for them to do that, and he's a guy who can really make pay, punish that if he is out there against the depth. Especially if Hagel is in. Especially if Hagel is in, then all of a sudden for for Tampa Bay, you're looking at you know Stamkos, Kucherov, Palat, right? Uh, Sorelli, Kalorn, Hagel, 
mm-hmm. which which has been an enormously effective line, and I wouldn't touch it. And then you could put point in between Paul and Ross Colton. Colton. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're a lot faster than you were when you had a Belmar Maroon Perry fourth line. All of a sudden, that is your fourth line, and that's also really good, albeit, you know, I, I do wonder how much the Avs' bottom six speed advantage plays, you know, especially with how Cogliano... Obey Kubel and the centerman's Darren Helm yep. uh, can fly out there against that Belmar Perry Maroon group that's been so good for Tampa Bay all year, and I don't want to take any credit o- away from them because that's been you know a really key factor. Like those three guys, at a combined cost of under three million dollars, have allowed the Lightning to replace a third line group that was so essential in them winning back to back cups, and who went on to be paid a combined. 12 plus million this year. I mean, it's a remarkable accomplishment what those three have done, but I do sort of, again, worry a little bit about Tampa's speed disadvantage, especially in those fourth line gentlemen's agreement min- agreement yeah. minutes with the, uh, with an Avs fourth line that, you know, in typical Avs fashion can absolutely fly. But I do think again, getting Braden point back, then you can really start to stack the minutes to your top nine, and you can lower those fourth line minutes if you need to, right? Because then you have three lines from Tampa's perspective that really you trust in any situation. You have Braden Point and Nick Paul on a line. Okay, maybe you're not always going to get the matchup you like, but if they get stuck, if they get out there against one of Colorado's top lines, again, maybe not your preferred matchup, but you're not panicking. You still no. have Braden Point and Nick Paul. Nick, Nick Paul's probably going to be a matchup guy yeah. for somebody next year. Anyway. So you know, all of a sudden that that Braden Point factor. If you ha- if you feel that the the fourth line because it's too slow can't hang with Colorado's bottom six, you still have three lines that you can load up on minutes for a stretch of six or seven games, right? Yeah. And, and with total confidence in all of those lines. Well, and I think that that's really important. And the cheap thing about Tampa Bay, right, is you know you say Ross Colton on a line with Col- uh, with um, Braden Point, and everyone's yeah. like. Well, that's and that's because of Colton Point. Ross Colton with Braden Point on a line is truly one of my uh, nightmares from a from a keeping my pronunciations straight perspective. But you know, Colton Point's like a grinder, and yet he can totally fill that role. Like he'll he'll totally be effective. Oh, yeah. playing with a super skilled guy and complimenting him. It's it's outrageous. Well, yeah, as the complimentary third guy next to Point and Nick yeah. Paul. Heavy okay, press. That's great. Perfect. Right. Really good. Really good player there. So I mean, I'm curious to see where they slot Point or if they. Or if they slot point back up uh, on the top line, I- I'd guess it'll depend partly on how many minutes they intend to use him in. But you know, if he's in the bottom six, I think that really shines a spotlight too. On well, it's it's an interesting one because on the one hand, you could read into it and say, well, they need to limit his minutes. He's not going to play twenty two minutes tonight. He's going to play fifteen, so he needs to be a little further down the lineup. Right? That's one read on it. But the other read to me would be, is he really going to play fifteen minutes or? Is this John Cooper identifying what he thinks is the soft underbelly of yeah. this Avs team, which is the non makar Taves minutes, which I think is the soft underbelly of this Avs team. I think it's going to be the difference in this series. And I think the Tampa Bay Lightning structure and controlled forecheck, because they're not going to come after Johnson and Johnson, but I still think their 1-3-1, their neutral zone forecheck is going to give the Avs absolute fits when Makar and Taves are sitting at 5-on-5. Five I think it's enough that it's going to be decisive in the series. Like, my my logic here is basically that I think the Lightning have enough of an edge in special teams play that even though I think the Avs are likely to win the top end of the lineup matchup, I don't think it'll be by a wide enough margin to offset what I see the Tampa Bay Lightning doing to the Avs in those non-McCartaves minutes. I think that's going to decide the series. 
when I'm picking the Lightning in six, that's that's the main reason why. I just I worry about the Avs' ability to get going north south with Makar and Taves on the bench. And again, as we talked about yesterday on the show, let's not act like Cooper versus Bednar is an overwhelming Cooper advantage because Jared Bednar is a very good coach. But again, if I had to give the slight edge in one way to win that coaching matchup that you're talking about and getting a guy like Braden Point, those really favorable matchups, yeah, I would lean towards John Cooper. It's not an overwhelming edge there, but I do think uh, it is an edge. Some really good texts coming in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. First of all, I enjoyed this one from Travis the Courier about our discussion about Colorado's goaltending uh, decision off the top of the show. He says, finding out who's starting a net for Colorado is like a Scooby-Doo villain reveal, which is like, yeah, you know who it's going to be, but they just won't. <laughs> it's no surprise at the end when they pull the mask off. You're like, oh, totally. it's the real estate developer again. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, it's like, oh, it was Darcy Kemper. Yeah, what a shock. Yeah, and they would have gotten away with it if it weren't for us pesky <laughs> yeah, kids. Yes, exactly. Uh, this one uh, that I wanted to read as well, Brandon in Vancouver says, and we should touch on this, uh, it doesn't matter who starts for the Avs. Neither are at Vasilevsky's level. Uh, it's a sad attempt to level up the goaltending duel. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the volatility of goaltending on this uh, on this show, so there's certainly no guarantee that Vasilevsky is going to be the ultimate trump card, as he as he so often has been for Tampa, but not in this run. No, not in this run. He's been he's been he's been the trump card in one series to this point. He was materially worse than Shosturkin, and the Jack Campbell Vasilevsky save percentage thing basically a draw, basically a draw. There was no goaltending edge. Like goaltending was not what won the color yeah. of the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Toronto Maple Leaf series. It it wasn't. No, like, no, it just, no. It solely oh, no. wasn't. But it's always lurking there, right? With Vasilevsky. It's always lurking well, as a possibility to be a massive edge. And and you can't undersell you can't undersell that with Vasilevsky behind you, you know you're getting stops. Right? You just know. You just know. Players know. With Jack Campbell behind you, I don't know that players know. Uh, right? I, I think if the Maple Leafs don't re-sign Jack Campbell, I think that'll be a factor in it, right? Is is you know, the way that a goaltender's performance impacts your posture, your overall confidence level. That's that's something I talk about a lot in terms of what Ian Clark demands from his goaltenders, right? Carry yourself in a way that that inspires your team. I think inspires is legitimately, like, if that sounds corny to you, I think that's the word that Ian Clark would use, right? It inspires your team. And so, you know, Vasilevsky is certainly going to do that no matter what, no matter how well he plays. But I do think it's important to note, like, in this playoffs – you go into that Leaf series and everyone's talking about the goaltending edge that the Tampa Bay has, and it didn't matter. It wasn't that. You go into the the Florida series and it's a 980 save percentage versus a sub-900 save percentage. Yeah, that's going to be a sweep. That mattered. That's going to be a sweep. <laughs> although through three games, although through three games, right, the difference between Shosturkin and Vasilevsky was 960 versus 880. 960 versus 880. Right, and it, I mean Vasilevsky narrowed the gap. It ends up at something like nine twenty eight versus nine fourteen. But Shosturkin, the Rangers had the edge in net in that series, and it didn't matter. It just didn't matter because Tampa Bay was materially better. The problem with goaltenders in general, right, is Vasilevsky is a better bet in any given on any given night or any given seven game stretch to give you elite performance than either Fransos or, or Kemper. Mm-hmm. But any any you know, sub-average goaltender in the NHL can can run extraordinarily hot for seven games, right? I mean, we just finished the season watching Spencer Martin go what nine sixty over eight. Like Spencer Martin outperformed Thatcher Demko in a, in in the games that he played this season. 
But would you bet on him to be better than Demko over his next 20? No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But over over a seven or eight game stretch, you know, Hadobin, any guy, any guy can just be the guy that gets super hot. It could be Francois. It could be Kemper. It really could be. And it could not be Vasilevsky. And that's that's one of the things. We talk about goaltending matchups like they're fait accompli, but there's so much variance, so much luck, so many factors that go into a goaltender keeping a clean sheet or, or keeping you know their save percentage high that I, it's just not something you can really count on, in my view, going into the series. Tampa Bay should have the edge in net, but that doesn't mean they will. Well, like so many of the things we're talking about, it's an edge. But it's not a decisive edge or necessarily an overwhelming edge because of the nature of goaltending. Or right? one like, that even shows up. Yeah, it's it's a factor you have to wait in Tampa Bay's favor, but 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 like it, it's a far it's far less likely to show up than Colorado's speed advantage. Sure. Right? It's far less likely to show up than Tampa Bay's uh defensive solidity. Right? Like those are things we know because they're repeatable skills. Goaltending performance, it's rare that you get someone who's just elite all the time. Like there in fact, there is no guy who's ever been that. Uh, you know, there's guys who are good year after year, but no one's a lead every game. That, it's just it's just not possible. The demands of the position are too r- rigorous. Uh, I wanted to read this text. A couple more here quickly before we go to break. Denis from Langley says, Honestly, if Tampa goes down 2 nothing in the series, that'll make me more confident that they win, as weird as it sounds. I think that's just a great reflection of the mystique that Tampa Bay yeah, has j- built j- up, right? If they go down 2 nothing and you feel that way, jump on the series <laughs> yes, line. jump on the money line there for sure. Uh, and Marcus and Gibson uh, sums up a lot of the conversation here with just, how can you bet against Tampa at this point? It, for all the analysis, that is kind of especially, the log line of, of it all, Especially right? when you get plus money on them to win the series, yeah. right? And you do. So, look, going to be a fun game tonight, right? It's going to be great. And, you know, more than anything, we talked about that gambling thing uh, to start the game. We talked about the lineup disclosure thing. And it just, more than anything, it just sends a, sends a chill down my spine. This is a coming out party for the league. For they're on The Stanley Cup final on ESPN tonight. In the United States, right? The two best possible teams you could have matching up. Historic stakes, right? This is going to be great. Unless we get a controversial offside review, right? Unless we get the yeah. the bad hit and the conversation around that. Like, unless unless the NHL is in its way. A goaltender interference review, yeah. Like, yeah. This, is, this is a huge moment. A huge moment for the league. And I think that's why the goaltender disclosure, more than anything, just like... You know, got me a little down when I sort of started reading about it right right before we did this show, right, right before we went on air, just because I really hope, I really hope this sport doesn't get in its own way and permits a new audience to find it and love it. Because this is going to be fast. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be this sport at its best. And let's hope... Let's hope that that carries the day and is the story coming out of the series. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in on the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a five-star rating and review. If you do enjoy the show, uh, we will dive into the Canucks off-season a little bit more. The latest article from Drancer up at The Athletic exploring some potential UFA defenseman targets that the team could be interested. We'll get into that, plus your thoughts uh, coming up on the other side. It is the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show, Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz here with you. A few hours 
about, what, five and a half hours now before puck drop in game one of the Stanley Cup final between the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning. You'll be able to hear that game, of course, here on Sportsnet 650, in addition to watching it on Sportsnet. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, avenuemachinery.ca. A bit of a bittersweet day for us here at Canucks Hour and uh, and Sportsnet 650 as well, Drancer, because as as many people know, our ace producer, Chris Faber, is wrapping up his time here at 650. He has been a fantastic addition whenever he's been behind the board uh, for our show, certainly, and we're really going to miss having him. This is his last day running things with us here uh, at Canucks Hour, so I-, I wanted to take a chance to say farewell to our guy Faber, he's gonna he's gonna kill it and what he's uh, doing next. But we will miss him certainly. F- Faber is the best, and Florida Panthers don't gamble on hockey. <laughs> what, you forgot you forgot about the Leafs. What uh, oh yeah? What else do I say too much, Faber? Uh, the model, the model, oh, dumb decision. There we go. There we go. <laughs> um, I'll miss those bell the, for whom the bell tolls. Yeah. Chris Faber, now, thanks for a gr- congratulations on a great run. Congratulations on what's next. Yeah, thank you very much. I've been training up Ben over here. Yeah, to learn awesome. the bell button. Very excited. He's been, got a list of things that Drant says. He's got to put the bell down. <laughs> He's been teaching him the uh, the dark arts of clipping gaffes from the from the hosts as yeah, well. And perfect. I will say, Faber, you know the, the next time um, the Canucks sign, you know, a, a former fifth round pick from the Austrian league that didn't get signed by his team, we'll we'll, we'll get you on the horn for those insights right yeah, away. <laughs> absolutely, we'll be there for that. No, it's been a blast, guys. I love doing this show and uh, you know clipping funny things that both of you guys say. And, and I understand <laughs> you have a bit after. of a parting. Parting gifts for, yes. for both of us. I have put together a montage of my favorite Thomas Drantz and Jamie Dodd clips. So let's go. Um, who do we want to start with here? We let's got start with Jamie. Let's start right, with Jamie. Let's go with me. Okay, so um, let's run. Let's just run through it. We can circle back on some if you find something that you like. So this this is the highlight clip of Jamie Dodd. That's awesome. That's good. Get in the kitchen and cook up something weird. You got to expect some weird things going down the toilet. <laughs> he would make bank throwing it back and flipping yeah. the bird to the kid. <laughs> And with clear key players. <laughs> so the only one I feel bad about is the one at the end there with the weird mouth noises. I, I have no idea to this day what happened on that one. One of the funniest things I, I might have heard here. Absolutely no idea what happened there. I could not even begin uh, to explain it, but I'm glad it's been captured for posterity. The great thing about having favor behind the board is that. You can kind of lean into moments like that. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, so oh, yeah. you, as you're saying it, you're like, oh, this is going to be a good one for Faber. Uh, the good thing is, the good thing is, now that Faber's about to queue up mine, it's going to be way worse. Mine's going to be way, <laughs> way worse. It's longer for sure. Let's you, go. you actually do have, well, you and Randeep, you guys battle for uh, for who has the most clips. But I always love, like, even like you mentioned, Jay, when you guys have something like that, like, I always just love that you guys, like, look at me and you guys like, oh, no. I feel <laughs> like that, that's coming back. I feel like I'm thrown up an alley-oop. Yes, yeah, exactly. the, fear, the fear in our eyes. All right. All right. Let's run. Right, do uh, your damage, bud. Let's do the Drance montage. I like good hockey teams. I like good hockey teams. I want to cover it. The Maple Leafs. A dumb decisions model. And the Canucks are very bad at getting lucky. I mean, shades of me in high school. And I'm not always right. <laughs> like how much more positive can you know, get? Man. I don't know. <laughs> oh man. No. Why? Why is this happening? Stop, please. Pitching an actual tent. The Pizza Hut buffet. <laughs> There's something about Bruce. Yay! That's what we all want. 
Oh dear! The pizza, hut. The was, pizza hut buffet. What was the pizza hut buffet? I, Again, I have no idea. I don't remember, but that one got some run with like remixing things into you, like being like, "It's underrated." The pizza hut buffet, <laughs> or like just edits like that have been good. Sure, whatever. <laughs> Did you remember though? The pizza hut buffet was really good back in the day. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. of course. Big fan. So there you go, underrated. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was probably the conversation we were having. Oh, that's how good. great the pizza butt buffet was. That's good stuff. Thanks, Faber. We appreciate uh, it. There it is. Courtesy of uh, the one and only Chris Faber, who, yeah, as I said, we're going to miss, but also very, very excited for uh, his next opportunities. And hopefully, hopefully you'll still hear him from time to time here on the Sportsnet 650 Airwaves. All right. We've been doing it all week. Drancer, you have been filling out Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvian's shopping list for the upcoming Free agency season for the Vancouver Canucks. We've talked about the forward ranks so far, how they can add some speed, how they can add some of that sandpaper. And today, the defense uh, gets in the spotlight. And this is a really interesting one, because if you were to ask, I think, most fans, a lot of observers, where does this team most need to upgrade? People would say defense, right? Top four defensemen, just the blue line in general. They need to improve what they're getting from their defensemen. But... You look at what they already have committed, both in terms of money, where there's a lot committed, but also just bodies, guys. Like, they they already have seven defensemen who at some point last year played regular minutes for them, signed for next year. That's before you get into, you know, Jack Rathbone, Brad Hunt, who's a oh, UFA, who was a great fit. And that and that group costs $27 million. Yeah. Or, like, and, and there's only two teams with more money than that committed on their blue line. Although, although you could... Like it, it all depends on exactly how you want to slice it. Like, do you want to count Anthony D'Angelo and Kevin Shattenkirk's dead money right. uh, against the Rangers cap? Because then they're just over $27 million. Do you want to count Brent Seabrook's LTI deal against the Lightning's yeah. defense commitments? Like, no, where do you draw the yes. line? Yeah, that's, you know, it's like, a fair so, point. So uh, somewhere between the third and the, and the sixth most money committed, I would say I would say the third based on hard cash right now for guys who are real players, guys not, who are playing. Not, not dead cap guys. So... Yeah, the Canucks have a lot of money spent on their blue line, and their blue line's not nearly good enough. Like, at the end of the day, if you want to understand why I never believed that this team, all through last season, that I never really believed that this team was capable of sustaining the type of run they needed to make the playoffs. And granted, they sort of did. I mean, they did to to an extent. It's just that they needed to be a few points better than they were, right? Yeah. The playoff bar ended up being, um, you know, I remember the, the day that, the day of Bruce Boudreaux's first game, I said that to get to 93 points, which is the historic playoff bar in the Western Conference dating back to the start of the new divisional alignment, the Canucks would need to go at 106-point pace the rest of the way. Well, they went and did exactly that. They literally did exactly that. And it's just that the playoff bar ended up being five points higher, and they and they fell one point short, right? So rounding error, they, they were with a, in a rounding error of sort of a, a tweet that I'd sent the day Bruce Boudreaux started as like a bar that they couldn't possibly hit. Well, they kind of did. It's just that, anyway, the, one of the reasons that I was always picking against the Canucks last year was that I just didn't see enough two-way intelligence on their back end, right? They had guys like Quinn Hughes, who is a, I mean, Quinn Hughes is a budding star. He's going to be a top five defenseman in this game. For me, he probably already is. And yet, you know, he did need, he did have something to prove going into last season in terms of his defensive play. I think he addressed any concerns anyone will ever have. I, I think Quinn Hughes' defensive mind is really high end. I think there's always going to be some growing that he's going to have to do until he, you know, sort of is that broad 
25-year-old player. Like, once he's a broad 25-year-old player, I think he'll be able to do more of those Ryan Ellis things on in-zone defensive zone play. But until he adds that sort of man strength uh, a little bit into his mid-20s, um, you know, there's going to be some limitations on how effective he can be just, just based on raw size and the heaviness of, of certain players in this league. But, you know, I think he'll get there, particularly with how hard he's shown us that he will work, how dedicated he is to improving. Uh, it's not a concern for me. Hughes is the one part of this Canucks defense core. I, I think you can, you know, sign sealed, delivered. You've got it. You've got a 1A guy. Yeah. That's a huge, huge Starting point. If you're going to have one item checked off, that's a pretty good one to have checked off. And then I think you go down the list, right, and you'll see a ton of positives. Like, it's it's an odd thing, but you'll see a lot of positives from a group that still, for me, doesn't measure up. Like, Oliver ekman Larson bounced back, for sure, in his first year with the with Vancouver. I, I think he was among the best shutdown defenders in the entire league. Um, Tyler Myers well, held up in a first pair role and and punched well above his weight. Let's let's look at it this way: If you go down the list of guys who played regular minutes for the Canucks on the blue line, how many of them exceeded expectations? Uh, Is it all of them across the board, with the exception of Tucker Pullman's start? Yeah, although he sort of rounded into form by game twenty. Yeah, until he got hurt. But I thought he was really good defensively. Hughes, OEL, Myers, Shen. Brad Hunt, Kyle Burroughs, yeah. like Travis, Travis Dermott, Dermott when he yeah. came in. No, they they all punched above their weight, and you know, for me, it still wasn't uh, enough. And so I look at this defensive group and think they need to add. And and I think the organization views it this way: Myers and Oliver Ekman Larson need to be used less and need to be used a little bit differently. Oliver Ekman Larson held up well in a matchup role, but you're not getting full value for what he can bring if he's not being given more of a chance to do the offensive things that make him special. Tyler Myers, at the end of the day, you have the good and you have the bad. And you'll have an awful lot less of the bad if he's playing 17 or 18 minutes a night as opposed to 24, right? I I mean, Myers can get tired, right? Like, he's a big guy. It's a different... Stamina is different when you're a giant body the way that he is than it is for an average-sized human being. Um, playing him 25 minutes a night accentuates those moments of chaos, right? And I think limits some of the interesting things that he can do in terms of moving the puck and, and hitting, um, hitting his teammates on the counter. Uh, so you do need to figure out a way to make the Canucks top four group a top four group again, as opposed to this top three group that you ride a little bit too heavily. Because outside of Hughes, I don't know that there was a defender who was used optimally. Among that group, like Myers, Myers played played too much. OEL played too much, and not in situations mm-hmm. that accentuate his skill set. Hughes was used right, and then you don't have another top four defenseman. So I do think adding a top four body, a guy who can permit the Canucks to better share the load between their first and their second pair, um, build a bridge essentially between an overused top pair and and a more gently used depth group. Uh, which actually is relatively well fleshed out. Like, that's the other thing. This is not a team that needs, like, a third-pair defenseman. You've got Pullman, you've got Burroughs, you've got Brad Hunt, you've got Jack Rathbone. Travis Dermott. Travis Dermott. I mean, it's honestly, it's actually, you're, you're set there. It's just that I don't think you want to go into next season counting on one of those guys to be the 20 minutes guy, 20 minutes a night guy who takes the burden off of Myers or OEL. So 
What are their options? And we were really spotlighting top four guys with, well, with the exception be, of two be, names. Before I know we're pressure timer, but before we go uh, into the – it's a really difficult puzzle to figure out because if you're not playing OEL in a matchup role, like Quinn Hughes already gets a lot of offensive minutes. Now is a chance they could play together with one of them on the right side. That might be something they have to explore. But if you don't want to use either OEL or Myers in heavy matchup minutes – it's a really tough defense to flesh out then because then you're like, who are you playing in those matchup minutes? Well, if you can get a righty to play with Quinn Hughes, then I do think, you know, and, and all, all respect to Luke Shen, who also punched above his weight. Yeah. It was a revelation. One of the best free agent signings this organization has had in five years, frankly. But, you know, I do think ideally you want to limit his role a little bit. You know, he can be an everyday guy, particularly if Tucker Pullman, like if Tucker Pullman's hurt and you go into next season with, Dermot or Rathbone and Shen, you're stoked. That's a g- really good third pair. But I do think you want to find a pair, a partner for Hughes who can take some of the some of the minutes burden and the matchup burden off of Myers and OEL, so that you're playing them a little bit more closely uh, in terms of minutes at five on five. Now Hughes obviously led the team in ice time overall, but that's largely inflated by the power play. Yeah. You want another penalty killing guy. You want another guy who can you know help you. Uh, play Hughes more five on five, ideally. But the right-handed, the market for right-handed defensemen in unrestricted free agency is brutal, brutal. And the guys that are available that you kind of like aren't ideal Quinn Hughes analogs, right? They're not perfect Hughes caddies. You're talking about your Colin Millers, your mm-hmm. Justin Schultzes. You know, you're you're talking about guys with warts or injuries last year or coming off bad seasons. You're talking about bounce back candidates, right? If the Canucks can't find the guy they like, I do think moving OEL over to the offside to play with Hughes is is a real possibility, in which case you need a defensively oriented lefty who can caddy Myers and sort of take some of the defensive heavy lifting because you know you don't want Myers to be the stay-at-home guy on his pair. You, you ideally want to tether him with someone who's going to be a little lower risk. So in that arena, some of the names we pointed out Oli Mata's one that stands out to me because there's a prior relationship. Mata was on the defense yeah. corps that won back-to-back cups in Pittsburgh. Um, he's he's available. He's an unrestricted free agent. The LA Kings have a lot of left side depth. Um, you know, feels like feels like he's a player who's likely to to shake loose here, uh, based on you know the the fact that the Kings have Mikey Anderson, they have Alex Edler, right? There's bodies there. Um, so. Oli Mata is one that looms large, but Brett Kulak for me is the guy. Like, Brett Kulak hasn't played matchup minutes. He's been a sturdy third-pair guy, 18 minutes, 17 minutes a night for the last few years, but I think he can do more. His defensive results are always through the roof, mobile, good shot, former Vancouver Giant, Western, good Western Canadian kid. The Edmonton Oilers are going to have, you know, I'm not sure they're going to have enough money to re-sign him. To me, Kulak is like the mid-range bet where you could get real dividends. Like the the guy you sign at, you know, even even a relatively hefty price, like three and a half million. Let's say yeah. it's three and a half million times three. I think you get good value for that. Like Brett Kulak's a guy who's deserved more opportunity for a while. And I think the team that invests in him and puts him in a position to play a little higher up the lineup than he ever has before is, is going to reap the dividends from that. The Kulak thing is really interesting. I'm riding for Kulak. And you like, Kulak's make this, at the top of my list. It, it's an interesting name because it kind of threads the needle between, you know, okay, we're going out and we're going to spend big money on a guy who we think we can be a long-term solution in our top four 
versus the low end of the spectrum where it's, oh, yeah, we'll try to sign, you know, somebody for uh, two years at two million or two years at a million and a half or whatever. Right. It, it, he's kind of might be in that middle ground where it's relatively cost effective, but could also be a part of your kind of medium term plans. The interesting thing with Kulak, and you mentioned this in the article as well, is that it is there's this whole long history of defensemen who look really good in a third pairing role. Teams sign them. They make try to put them in the top four, and it doesn't always work out. Now, that's not to say it won't work out in Kulak's terms. It's always a risk. I do wonder, though, if that's the kind of risk the Canucks have to take, right? Like Because if you go for a guy who's shown he can play those tough minutes, well, guess what? You're going to pay a lot of money for that player. So you kind of need to take that risk to get that upside. Oh, and Kulak's a guy I'd bet on. The only problem is if, is if you do commit to him, then you've got Hughes, ekman Larson, Dermott, whatever Rathbone comes in at, Right, and then if he shows that he's really good, plus plus Kulak, sort of that that's a lot of money collect, uh, committed on the left side of your defense, right? And and it still does leave that hole on the right side for a world beyond the Myers contract, right? For the, for for a world beyond Myers' next two seasons with the Canucks. So that's sort of the only mitigating factor. But I do think if you're rolling out uh, Hughes, Ekman, Larson, Kulak, Myers, I, I do think you're better than you were this season. And I do think Kulak's the type of guy, he's got the wheels and the defensive smarts and like that defensive, that holding midfielder sense of how to control the game that I just think this team's desperate for. And I just don't know that there's many guys with uh, an analogous skill set in this market. Like Olimata's got zero offense, zero offense. I still think he could, you know, at the right price, fit the bill. But Kulak for me is the guy... Uh, that I'd be riding for if I was the Canucks. He'd he'd be my primary target. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to tell people uh, in this market how how treacherous signing defensemen <laughs> in the UFA market can be. Right? There is value there. There, there can be value. There is value, but there's like, a lot of landmines as well. Right? Uh, there there are, but I mean, you know, there've been there've been a ton of players who've come in as uh, unrestricted free agents over the years in Vancouver who've played exceptionally well, or at least been valuable enough that their contract was then able to be moved without retention and with draft picks coming back. You think about uh, Hamhuis, you think about um, Willie Mitchell, you think about Jason Garrison. Like, there are ways of going about building a defense core in free agency. You, you look at Calgary and you've got Chris Tanev. You look at Toronto, you've got TJ Brody. Like, there are good value bets. You look at Florida and you've got Radko Gudis and, and Montour, although they did acquire him ahead of the um, stop it, Faber. Uh, there are ways to flesh out your defense core in free agency with intelligence. I, I you know, I don't think free agency is a bad. I actually like free agency as a way of addressing your defense core a lot more than I like it as an avenue for addressing your top six, for example. Uh, maybe we'll get into some of the other names. We were a little pressed for time. We might bring up some of them, uh, the other interesting ones, tomorrow on the show. But for now, we got to get out of here. The People Show with Vic Nazar and Randy Janda is up next. We will be back tomorrow at noon again. Uh, shout out to Chris Faber, our guy, last day producing the show here. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. A dumb decisions model. <laughs>